When one of the draftsman members goes, there's a good chance we're ready. I think it's guaranteed. Mm. A herd of turkeys in here. The confidence. It's the call to start. Hey guys, welcome back to the Draftsman Podcast. My name is Marshall Vandruff, and this I is... I am Stan Prokopenko. Prokopenko. Wow, you said that with beautiful articulation. Some people don't Resonance. know that there's two parts in my last name. Some people cut it in half. Oh, yeah. Just Proko. Prokopenko. You're right. Proko two syllables. Panko. It's a four-syllable last name. That's, that's, that's a lot that of last bad. names. I like my name. I do, too. <laughs> and especially the fact that the first name, Stan, is one syllable. That's not my full name, though. So oh, it's Stanislav? Kind of, yeah, Stanislav. But you go by Stan, Stan, and then you think, okay, we got a simple one-syllable thing, and then you pull this Prokopenko. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a weird middle name in there as oh, well. Oh, can we hear what that is? Igorovich. Gorovich. Igorovich. Igor, I, it's, called, it's Igorovich, not yeah, Igorovich. Yeah, but it, I did it in an English accent, too. Okay. It's kind of, you know. Okay, well, good. Well, I'll tell you, I have relatives, brothers included, who have separated the van and the druff and even capitalized the D of druff. I don't do that. And I want to tell you why. <laughs> it's because Marshall and Vandruff, when you put them together, graphically go very well. They've got the same number of ascenders and descenders and in the same places. So it's really, it's a nice little design. We've been sitting here talking with each other. I never asked you, how was your break between yeah, draftsmen podcast. What? You don't care about well, me? I apologize. I It was an oversight, but I'm repenting of it right now. So go ahead and <laughs> tell me what you did. I actually had a break. You I mean, actually took a break. You didn't work? No. For like two weeks. Be my God. The first time I took my Christmas break actually off and not work in like seven or eight years. And... I assume it was a good experience. It was great. I spent time with the wifey, spent time with the sunny. <laughs> <laughs> These are love names, apparently. No, I just made those up. The monkey, what? The doggy? The doggy? The doggy? Oh, yeah, the doggies. The monkey? The doggies, the yes. Kitty? Actually, not as much time with the doggies. We went out a lot. We went to amusement parks. and. But this was family time where you played, and you didn't really miss good. being at work. You were, you were present. No, I think I needed a break. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, That's what I did. I, I took a break. What did you do? I taught. I taught workshops. And interestingly, I taught really, I really enjoyed the workshops I did. And they were populated by a number of students who watched this podcast and even came from out of town. And we even Doesn't did. every artist watch this podcast? No. Oh, they listen. You're right. You're yeah. Right. And even not every artist <laughs> oh, listens. Oh, well, they don't yeah, even yeah. listen. Sorry to put that to you, but we'll, what? Talk, we'll talk about it later. Went to the Getty Museum a couple times and with students, went to the uh, Norton Simon Museum. We have got such great museums here. That is one thing that I, I have neglected going to museums in the last few years. And now I'm just bit by the bug to go back. I got my, my subscription or whatever they call it, membership at, at Norton Simon, which is in Pasadena, which is near CDA. So uh, I hope to go there more often. It, you, have you ever been there? I don't think so. It's one of the smallest museums in L.A., and it is one of the best museums in L.A. because it was a personal collection, and it's just great yeah, collection of art. 
it's a hangout that I hope to spend a hundred hours. Didn't you go to the Bougaro show in San Diego? I haven't yet gone. I you was, didn't go? I was planning on going, but I ended up needing to get work done. Oh. So, did you go? No. Okay. By the time this podcast comes out, it will be gone. Oh, yeah. Gone. This will be part of history. Long time ago. Well, anyway. We're recording this in 2016. <laughs> Message from the past. Let's talk about schools. Okay, yeah, and let's actually, talk about let's talk about not going to school. That's right. That's our that's our purpose, isn't it? Kind of. Well, not really. It's yes. You punk <laughs> skipping school. <laughs> no, it's about recreating school. If you don't want to spend anywhere between fifty to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, or get your art a few thousand dollars for a crappy community college. Uh, excuse me, <laughs> you're, you're, uh, you're encroaching on my territory. I know. It's... I love the community college. I can tell you. Your community college. My community college. But I know some other community colleges in this area where my peers work and teach. You want me to tell you what one, one of the pitches is no. for the music? I, I'm going to tell it to you. Anyway. I know you will. Okay. I say I didn't go to university. I did have to take some classes in university in order to get a teaching credential so that I could teach at the community okay. college. And one of the classes was Sociology of Education with Paul Kane. It was a great class. And one of the assignments he gave us was to do research on a premise. Mine was, why is the community college, why are my community college teachers so good? Because they, I had really good teachers there. So I interviewed them. One of them explained to me that all they're hired to do is teach. They do not have to publish or perish. They do not have to play a lot of the other political complications that university professors do. And he was one of, he was actually one of my teachers that was so good for me in the uh, theater department there. And uh, I came away with a better understanding of the way the structure of community colleges makes it so that if you are a good teacher, that you will be more more likely be empowered to do your best teaching there. I know of community college teachers who are passionate and love it. Yeah. I'm one of them. I love my <laughs> classes and I love being there and I would do it for no money except that uh, they do pay me a little bit. Well, let's jump in. This is season two and we're beginning season two with a whole series on art school, how to recreate it and how to make the best of it if you go. In the last two episodes, we talked about the pros and the cons of art school and now we're starting the part where we tell you how to recreate it by not going. <laughs> the next many episodes are going to be, we're going to tackle each element that you would need to recreate. Knowledge, structure, mentorship, community, equipment, resources. Boom, all of those. Yeah. Those are going to be, we're going to tackle all of those and today we're going to cover knowledge. The easiest one in the world is is knowledge. That's easy. You know, some people wouldn't think that's easy. Uh, yeah, and Ray Bradbury used to talk about how he'd go into a library and weep because he wanted to read all the books in the library and he knew he'd never live long enough to read all those books. And when oh. I heard somebody quoting that, I thought, that's how I feel. I used to go into libraries and feel like, I want to live to be a thousand years old because I want to read all these books. I get the opposite. How, tell me. How, how when I walk into the library, I think, holy crap, I need to leave. There's way too many books here. I do not want to read them. <laughs> because you're, you're just, because you feel like it would distract you? I don't like reading. I do read. And when it's interesting, I do like it. But in general, the concept of reading is something that I, I didn't like as a kid and I never grew to love it for some reason. Hmm. I remember in uh, elementary school, there was a program that if you read for every 
Every page you read. <laughs> you get rewarded, you an get extrinsic rewarded. reward. Yeah. And, oh, it was minutes. You have to read 15 minutes a day. Mm-hmm. And if you do that every day for a month, you get a free pizza. <laughs> it's got to work against you. Yeah, because all I could focus on is getting that pizza. <laughs> I, I seem to recall research that showed that if you build the whole thing around an extrinsic reward, the pizza, you do damage to yeah. the intrinsic experience. Yeah, because it, they should they should teach for me to love the reading portion of it. They should. How do you enjoy reading? Why do you enjoy reading? Yeah. But no, I it was I really wanted that pizza. It was actually it was well, it's Pizza Hut. It's a, but it's only a personal size. Yeah. So yeah, it really wasn't even that great an extrinsic reward, which made of yeah. But I didn't know it. that as a kid. I thought, oh my god, pizza. And I got it every time because I cheated. All I did was I put that, yes, I did read. Oh, Stan, and you admit it in public, and you're an educator. I don't know what this is doing. I was like seven. Oh, okay. Well, if you were seven, you're (laughs) given the license of childhood. You know, there's a Russian game show, and my mom told me about this, that one of the questions they had on there was, what's the first thing that a child needs to learn in order to be successful in life? Yeah. And the answer to it was to learn how to lie. Say it again slowly. You <laughs> oh, can't take it in. <laughs> there is... It's because you're being creative. When you are lying, yeah. you are being creative and you must keep track of the lie, which means you've got responsibility to do your... I don't completely understand the reason of why, but it kind of makes sense. It does. And this is like little baby. This isn't like a, like a seven-year-old child needs to learn how to be a good liar. This right, is right. more of like... A really, really young kid needs to learn how to lie because then they're thinking about what does the parent think. They're thinking about consequences. They're thinking about, you know, actions and consequences. And there's a lot of things related to lying. That's how I interpret it. I don't remember. I don't know what the reason is. This explains so much. I always perceived my son as one of the most honest people I've ever known. There was just, he had a transparency. He was very honest. But I remember when he was two years old where he would try to pull lies on me. And it was so thing. obvious that he was pulling a lie. And I'd just tell him, I don't, I don't buy that. I don't mm-hmm. accept that. I don't think that that's true. And, and his eyes would go all over the place yeah. where he figured, okay, that didn't work. But it, yeah, it was so entertaining to see. Yeah. And that was a cognitive development, yeah. wasn't it? That was imaginative development. Yeah. You probably were thinking, what the hell? Like, you, you thought it was a really bad thing that he said. No, 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 I didn't. Because no? it was, it was, I, was, I was saying, no, you can't do that. And he said, my mommy said that I could do that. And it was something that obviously he had never <laughs> talked to her about. And, and I, I challenged him on it. I don't, I don't believe. I don't believe that she did tell you that I could do it. But he didn't keep pushing it. He just okay. recognized that didn't work. Uh, so I need to readjust. I wonder what the, if it would have been better if you didn't, didn't make respond. him not like it. Like if you if you made him good at it, it would it would it have been better uh, if, if you pretended that it worked. Pretended that it was like ooh okay. Oh, and then well, he got better at lying. Well, we did a ton of that with imaginary friends. Oh, lots of imaginary. Cooper does Cooper have imaginary friends? No, he's got real friends. 
yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't need him. No, I mean, Mickey Mouse and all the characters he But he, he hasn't watches. come up where he has a whole mythology, a whole developed world of his characters that you can ask him questions about them and he can no. give you quick answers? No. He, oh. No, he's two and a half. Okay, Man, so where that's, were we? We Jesus. were talking about knowledge in schools and Fuller... Or, <laughs> no, where I don't know where we were. Yeah, I, libraries. Libraries? Libraries? Oh, and yeah. I don't like yeah, libraries. We, we yeah. just went on the tangent that people will comment on. These guys were supposed to be telling us about how to get an education outside of the art school and they ended up talking about their kids. <laughs> what can you not learn on the internet? Where, <sighs> what, what knowledge is not available to a person? I don't know. There, I, I don't know of any. I've learned everything. Well, that's there you. There is to learn. <laughs> and I learned it from the internet. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see, I, I don't know what secret knowledge there is yeah. that is withheld from people. I, yeah, and a lot of times it's presented in a much more efficient way online and that's in, where, in books. And yeah. not always. There, there's some teachers that are really good at lecturing and just have amazing demonstrations and watching them in person can be beneficial. But um, there's more teachers online demonstrating and teaching that are good at doing that, I think. There's more than anyone ever imagined. Yeah. Because the good ones know right now that like you do it, it's profitable. Mm -hmm. So they're doing it. Right. And it's going to be way more in the next five, 10 years. Like every good teacher is going to have to teach online because that's going to be the place to teach. I remember 15 years ago, somebody, some friends and I were talking that, think of the internet, what the internet is now. Think what it's going to be like in 10 years. And then in 10 years, it was what can you not search on Google and find the answers? Yeah. Here we are 15 years later, another 10 years, yes, our education is moving to the internet. This is the time where you get your knowledge. Wait till next year. On the internet. Till every single person in the world will have access to fast internet. It's only like one year away. And half of those people will have watched the Draftsman podcast half? on how to use Holy it. Shit. That's, what, that's our Four goal. billion people. <laughs> Four billion. We could do better. Actually, that's probably true. All it takes is India to watch. We <laughs> just got to get it to go viral in India. Yeah. Okay. And we're big in India. So we're wait until every single person in India has internet. Okay. So we've got India <laughs> will claim draftsmen and we yeah. will appreciate being claimed. Nice. Now, what's the issue here though? If there, all the knowledge in the world is available, all, all things are yours. On the internet, there's nothing that you can't find that you got to learn. You've got to learn storytelling. You've got it on the internet. You can learn painting. You can learn drawing, sculpture. It's going to be there. Well, one one thing is that sometimes it is behind a paywall, Proco Premium. It's good behind the paywall. I mean, okay. the the teachers that are teaching online, they have to also make money. There, there's no way around it. Okay. And so it's not free. It's not like all information is yours. Sometimes it is quite expensive, but not as expensive as art school. Not that not expensive. Nearly. As expensive as art school. So that, that's all. Continue, okay, well, sir. you want me to tell you why I don't have a degree? You didn't have enough money? No, what, well, uh, I could have yeah, I, I afforded it. But I, you're I, a I've, quitter? I've already, no, I've already told you're you why I don't have an art degree. You're a quitter. And it's because I was sharing studio space with people who got their art degrees, and I was seeing they are not getting any better, and they are not learning what I want to learn. Is oh. it? And also, all of the illustrators around me didn't have degrees or didn't care about degrees and they were being more and more well employed. So it's yeah. like, well, what's the point of this? It didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. So I never regretted not getting an art degree, but all of the people around me who weren't illustrators had degrees and even multiple degrees. And one 
friend, family friend who had a PhD, spent an afternoon with me in 1991 in my studio. I said, look, I've got to multitask because I'm on a deadline, but it's, you know, I, I can talk while we're doing this. And he noticed that I had a cassette there of a political theory course from master, or no, from great courses, which used to be called Superstar Teachers or something, a teaching company. Oh. And he asked me about it. And I synopsized this as Dennis Dalton's political theory course. It was really a good course. I synopsized it for him and we continued to talk about that and I asked him about his degrees and I said, he said, do you have degrees? I said, no, you know, I, if I was going to get a degree, I'd go back to get a literature degree. I love stories. I don't know the history of literature. I don't even know where to start. I've got a ton of literature books. They're hard. They're not that accessible. Uh, it is just difficult to read. And he said, why would you go get a degree for that? Yeah, that's what I was about to ask you because you could learn that without getting a degree. He talked me out of it in 30 seconds. Oh. <laughs> he let me know you're going to have to deal with parking. You're going to have to deal with campus cops. You're going to have to deal with fees. You're going to have to deal with money. You're going to have to deal with teachers who don't teach you well. Even though you love the idea of the class, they aren't going to teach you well and you're stuck with them. And I thought, yeah, I'm not going to do it. Now, since then, I have gone through so many of the great courses. I purchased, I think, 80 of them. Uh -huh. And I, I will spend six months in them. And Eric Rabkin's sci-fi and fantasy literature course, I listened to over and over. That Thomas Shippey one that I mentioned on Heroes and Legends, I've listened to no lecture in there I have listened to less than five times, many of them 11 and 12 times. I drink everything out of these courses and I get no badge for it. Right. And I don't care because I've been steeped in wonderful teachers through that great courses. They, I mean, not all of the teachers are great, but most of them are good. They vet their teachers pretty well uh, for the great courses. Now, now, that's not art education. That's just general, all, well, if you know their catalog, all yeah. sorts of subjects. Right. And every time they come out with a new one, uh, I salivate like I used to in the library, only now it's to go through these guidebooks yeah. and these lectures. That's, that's one example of what, what knowledge am I going to get in a school that I'm not going to get from these teachers. The master classes, uh, if you, if you want to go to the pros for teaching, how could you do better if you want to play violin than to go to Isaac Perlman, if that's how you pronounce well, his name? Well, are they the best instruction, though? But this is one of the problems. It's just because somebody's the greatest at their craft yeah. does not mean they are the best teacher. Yeah, it's, I feel like it's the structure of the whole master class, the way they do it. I would never do it that way. I would never set up my school in that way because... You're focused on getting the big names, not the big teachers, mm -hmm. right? Most good artists, like the really, really good ones, the top performing artists are probably not good teachers because they're so focused on creating art. They don't think about how to communicate why they're doing what they're doing. They're thinking about how can I do this in the best way possible? And that's where their brain is. They usually cannot communicate it unless they've been teaching for a decade or so while they're developing their skills. John Singer Sargent admitted that. He complimented his teacher, Carolius or Carolinus Duran, or I can't remember his name, but he pointed out he could teach it, but he couldn't do it. John Singer Sargent pointed out that when he tries to, I think it was he said, when I try to serve it up in the abstract, it's hopeless. He can paint it, but he can't explain how he paints it. That's uh, what 
Myers-Briggs would call a sensory function as opposed to intuitive. Instead of living in the world of your mind and words and trains of thought, you're living much more in whether this paint appeals to me. This, this, mm. uh, it, it's a, it's, most people who are inclined toward teaching as a profession are over there on that supposedly intuitive side of that polarity. But even though it is a, a, an issue, there are some really good teachers, even in the master class, and I discovered them oh, one uh, in this. Uh, of course, uh, yes. Watching the trailers is great. In, in in classes, we'll watch the trailers. R. L. Stein's trailer is one of my favorite ones. I've watched <laughs> it over and over because uh, they'll take the 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 little nuggets of wisdom, and in a matter of two minutes, they'll give it to you. So it's sort of like oh, so you pretty much take the course already yeah, in the trailer. Well, no, no, and <laughs> some a couple of my students have been going through the R. L. Stein one. Spike Lee has one, uh, Werner Herzog has one, Ron Howard has one, and I trust Ron Howard mm -hmm. because he seems like he went about this course the way he'd go about a film. He's going to plan out the train of thought. He's going to make it so that you're going to learn what you need to do as a filmmaker. But I, there's one I want to talk about, but I think I'm going to wait. That master, master classes, if you, if you want to go to the best teachers, go to the best teachers. If you want to go to the people who say, I want the people who are at the top of their game in the world. Then you go to Steve Martin to learn about stand-up comedy, and you go to the list of them. Helen Moran teaches There's acting. There's a lot. You know, yeah, it's just incredible <laughs> what's on that list. Yeah. And a he, lot of times, though, the best way to learn from those top performers isn't to take a class from them. It's to watch them do it. Yeah. And to extract it yourself, right? I'm, yeah, and you can almost get that from DVD commentaries. When you've yeah. got a really good filmmaker, production designer, even actors are the worst usually, they will have the whole, you will get to watch the whole movie with them. Yeah. And here's and here's a pitch for the knowledge. Well, well, why are you talking about movies? People because I, I, those are, that's something I know about. But let me, let me mention move, one more thing about movies. Yeah. Because if you take Drew Casper's class at USC, he has a, a, a semester devoted to Martin Scorsese's movies. Drew Casper is a famous film historian. Uh, who teaches at USC. And I have, a, I have a few people I know who've taken his class. They cost $8,000. And one of the things that you were getting for the $8,000 it is he knows Martin Scorsese. And Martin Scorsese would come and address the class and talk to the students. That was a big deal. Now, if you watch a movie with the commentary and the director's on the commentary, you've got him right there in your living room and it didn't cost you $8,000 to have the guest in your home. And you get insight. And they're teaching you practically for free in your living room on your terms. Has anyone ever tried to do like color commentary for someone else's paintings? Like a play by play? Of... I don't think so. I, uh... It's like this is what he must be thinking at this moment. Yeah. Have you ever heard novel writing by Monty Python where the novelists are all sitting around to write their novel and they're treating it like a sports event? No. <laughs> he dips the pen in the ink and he's off it's the first word but it's not a word oh no it's a doodle way up on the top of the left hand margin it's a piece of meaningless scribble and he signed his name underneath it oh dear what a disappointing start i'm gonna try to pick it up from before we were before yeah, go ahead one artist that i think is kind of both the he's a good instructor and a good teacher and this is rare but it's like steve houston yes so there are those cases where you you can have an artist that does both well and those are the ones you really look for, but he's given a lot of not. thought to it. But most are not, and you, so you have to consider that. Are you are you studying with this person because you want to study how they do it, and you want to learn from their their way of doing it by watching, or are you trying to take their class and hear them 
and learn the concepts that they're actually teaching you. Mm -hmm. And it's important that you know what it is that you're getting from them mm -hmm. and that you're not just like going through the paces and watching stuff, reading books because it's a book mm -hmm. that is on a list somewhere. Okay. Well, um, this leads us. The first point we've made is there are no trade secrets. The second thing is, how do I know what to study? If I'm going to get an education, do I go into the library and read every book? That isn't what our audience cares about. They care about how do I get the education to do specific things in the arts. Mm -hmm. And we made an attempt to define the fundamentals last year. We had a roadmap of the Proker courses yeah. that we were making, which are the concepts we feel are the most important to teach. Right. So, so we, we tried to do that. Yeah. And a student might say, okay, well, what if I want to be a, and then they're more specific, I want to be a 2D animator, I want to be a classic animator, I want to be a 3D animator, and I want it to be really exaggerated like the Tex Avery stuff used to be, but with 3D. When a student starts having a specific calling, this is where art schools start to break down because they have got a mainstream set of paths to go in. So they'll say, you want to get from here to New York? You want to get from here to uh, Oregon? They'll take you on the main highways. They're going to teach you the stuff that you would need to get there. But it's not necessarily the most efficient way to get where you're going. How do you know what the most efficient way is to get where you're going? How do you know which courses to take and which ones not to take? Do you have thoughts about that? Online. Uh, yeah, online or with library resources, with, with resources that you can afford. The internet makes it pretty easy to find the best stuff. You just have to try. Care enough about what you're about to learn that you are just constantly looking for answers to the questions that you have. And eventually you'll start noticing the teachers that keep popping up everywhere you look. You know, if you are looking to learn animation online, you, you cannot avoid Aaron Blaze. Mm -hmm. He's going to pop up everywhere. Mm -hmm. He has a really good website that teaches a lot of different animation courses. You're, you're going to get there. Yeah. If you really dig deep enough, mm -hmm. you really don't have to dig that deep to get there. Right. But there's plenty of others that do it well online as well that if you keep digging, you'll get to them. Um, you just have to spend enough time on it, caring, and you can create your own animation curriculum. This seems to me like one of the biggest issues right now. What's that? Is when I was setting out, there was a dearth of resources. How do you know how to, what, how do you learn anatomy and perspective from books? Now there is a flood and so we need mavens. Do you know what a maven is? How Malcolm Gladwell described it in Tipping Point? The people that filter? Uh, it's kind of like that. I don't know how Malcolm Gladwell puts it. What is he? Mavens are people who love a subject so much that they pour into it for the joy of it and they just learn about it. You study oh, okay. something for a few hours every day for the rest of your life and you become a maven in that subject. And if a maven is a good maven, you come to them and they will tell you what to avoid and what to go for. And if you're a beginner, do this. Mm -hmm. But if you're already past that, here's where you go. They yeah. are the treasure bearers who know that what's inside that treasure chest. Yeah. And so they don't just leave you to sort through it yourself. Yeah. So that's where a lot of these factors kind of start working together. We're not talking about community today, but, you know, you participate in some online communities and you, that they will help you mm -hmm. to figure out what to watch, what to read, 
So community comes into play on figuring out what knowledge, where to get your knowledge. Why would a person not do this anyway? Even if they're in school. Yeah, I mean, yeah, (laughs) why would a person, no, let's say before they go to school, why would a person not say, look, art school, 100 grand, (laughs) the internet, 1,000 bucks. Well, you know the answer on why they wouldn't. But, but and they're young. They're, their parents are telling them they need to go to college, and they did, they do it. So they're in need. Also, of everyone, something. all their friends are going to our college. But they're also even if even if that wasn't the case, they are in need of something. And I think it's a grown up to tell me what I need to study and how I need to study it. I think that they are seeking that, and I've got some thoughts about how you can get it. In okay. a way that if your heart is really on a particular school, I did this with a particular school I wanted to go to but couldn't afford. You get their catalog. You go through that catalog. You look at the names of all those classes. You read the description of those classes. You find out who teaches those classes. This, there's nothing unethical about getting a school's catalog and That's saying, I, w- I really would love to be that major. I'd really love to take every one of those classes. And you are getting an education in what the school has decided you need to get into that profession. And then you can compare multiple schools' catalogs, Mm -hmm. see what the common things are, and then say, those are definitely things I need to research. Yes. That opens up your mind to the school being the bridge between you who know nothing about the profession yet or little about the profession and the profession which knows a lot about itself and is constantly changing. And this place in between the catalog will say, we've presumably, we've gone to the profession and here's the things we're going to do use to, use to train you. And then that helps you enter it and know what topics, what software. Yeah. That's cool. It's flawed. It is? Yeah. How? For a couple reasons. One is that schools make a large investment in their curriculum. Mm-hmm. For the amount of time it takes and the amount of trouble it takes to make classes happen. I have written no fewer than 16, it might be 17, classes for a community college in California. Every one of those takes about a year and a half to two years to get the approvals from the state and people reviewing it and saying, no, this isn't good enough. And so because that's not a quick process, it means that a lot of schools would just rather not change their curriculum than meet what the industry needs. Right, so you might be getting an old curriculum that's why you look at multiple schools right and you look at for the common that's right common things yeah cool i like that what's next nothing's going to be better than what we already talked about in a previous episode which is to ask pros what do you mean what what do i need to know ask professionals who are doing it oh yeah just go on instagram and ask them yeah 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 i can't believe i didn't think of that That that's totally what i would do if a pro is a good teacher if a pro is a maven they can help you drew struzan helped me this way i was 20 six years old there were all these professional illustrators going to study with him he was the one who explained to me that there are three big disciplines one of them you've got marshall it's technique because i had technique because that's what i was making my living doing okay but you don't have draftsmanship and draftsmanship is anatomy and rendering and and perspective those things where you have control of the form And then that's still not enough. That makes it look realistic. uh, Composition is the most important one because composition is where you make your choices to get the emotional aroma out of this piece that you're trying to get. 
Well, I wrote that down and that ended up being a table of contents for what I unpacked in my teaching for the following decade because he gave me this these, these three categories that I had never really understood the difference. Now, he spent 10, 10, 15 minutes to explain that, but in that 10, 15 minutes, it made me realize you can have the best pen and ink technique in the world and not have any idea how to turn form. You can be yeah. as good at draftsmanship as a 3D program to be able to create out of your imagination and render and have no idea about the pattern, the abstract pattern you're creating that evokes emotion from the viewer. Right. So just that short list that he gave me, because I was a serious student, I unpacked it as a teacher to figure out what each one of these, these uh, things meant. Yeah. That was an example of a maven who said, if you're going to be a picture maker, these three things. Photographer would do the same things, almost the same thing, but instead of draftsmanship, it would be lenses and it would be lighting and diffuse light and specular light and frontal light and you know rim light, all those other kinds of things. But it would be very analogous for the basic disciplines of a photographer to the basic disciplines of a, a drawer or painter. Yeah. When a student asks a professional, what do I need to know to do your job? Yeah. If you get a, a professional who can boil it down to a few categories, then you've got your macro plan of what to master. So yeah, they just need to seek an opportunity to speak mm -hmm. to a professional for a few minutes. Yeah. This could be at conventions. This could be through emails, through Instagram. This can be at a panel that they're at and they go up on to the mic and ask it. So on the, on the assumption that they've listened to this podcast for the mean? whole first season, oh. we spent a lot <laughs> of time true. in the whole first season talking right. about what knowledge you need. Yeah, but not for very specific things. No. That's what you're saying is that if you if you want to specifically study like character design, yeah. go to a character designer who's really good and ask them, what do I need to learn to make it in the field like you did? Yes. And have them boil it down. I think that's a really good, I think everybody right now, go do it. <laughs> no, seriously, that's a really good point. If like, yeah. if you're studying to become something figure out that roadmap first. Mm -hmm. Like be clear on what you need to study, what you need to learn and start prioritizing. Studying yeah. smart is I think more important than studying hard. It's one of the main points that I made in that $4 whiteboard lecture that I always pitch is that if you design your education for your career, that's the most efficient way. And you put on that whiteboard, here's where I wanna go, Here's where I am, and then what are the stepping stones of these subjects that I need to master to get there? And it will be different for every person, which is why I did that lecture, is that it's a uniquely your whiteboard, not the school yeah. curriculum whiteboard, but what you need. And you, there yeah. are some courses that you'll just neglect altogether because you don't need to. You don't need those. And other ones that you need triple doses of it because it's the important thing to you. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Cool. Okay. Are we, oh no, we got a few more. Peer gossip. What is Peer it? gossip is a big one. 
Uh, and it has to do with con- conventions. If you go to conventions and you get to know people in the profession and you listen to them whine, one of the most valuable things you can do is find someone who wants to hire artists and listen to them whine about what they get when they go to the graduates of the art schools and how they haven't been trained in this and how this and that and that. It's directly coming from the profession you want to enter saying we wish that we had more Wait, of where this. Where do they get this pure gossip though? You get this pure gossip by getting to, by listening to professionals. Where? Uh, in, at conventions. Conventions are all, almost always have panels where right. there are people who are in positions where they would hire or they'll tell their story about how they got hired. And they're going to gossip during the panels? Uh, well, they'll whine. Uh, really? Gossip happens more privately when you get them drinking yeah. after hours. That's what I'm thinking is like a lot of the stuff happens privately. It does. H- how, do, how do we use that you hang around and you make friends with so just networking and community networking and community i'll take you out for a drink (laughs) yeah and and when uh when somebody complains about somebody you've got to work with for whatever that's research that's finding out what is it that they don't have that i can bring in and they do have that i can spare them the things they don't have and, and they don't like but yes pure gossip of people in the professions is a valuable source of information for oh, what absolutely. you should bring into it. Yeah, I, I think it, it definitely is. I'm just concerned that it might be really difficult to get that information. But well, it, but, it yeah. may be difficult at first, but eventually yeah. you start to hi- hang around people. Mm. Another thing is that like you're you live in Southern California. Oh yeah, and you you have great schools around you. You have great studios around you. You have good everything around you. If somebody's trying to recreate art school, mm-hmm. it means either they can't afford it or they live in a place where there isn't a good art school, which mm-hmm. also probably means there aren't a bunch of great artists hanging out around them. So what do we do there? <laughs> I don't know. That's, I'm just kind of presenting that it still might be really difficult. I mean, they could travel to go to these conventions. Mm-hmm. They should mm-hmm. once a year if you can, you know, go to a convention and, and do some networking, yeah. talk to pros because it is important. Yeah. Uh, a final one is job opportunity postings, which remember, most job opportunities don't get posted, but some of them do. If you are on a bulletin board that we are looking for people who are good at Toon Boom and we need them this week because they have crises and they need to fill those positions. And you start to see which software and what things companies are looking for. And when they consistently come up, then you start to say, well, then that's the job that it's not necessarily the job I want. It's the job they need. Yeah. And then you work in reverse for that. Yeah. You try to become the candidate they're looking for. Right. Kind of work backwards. You wouldn't believe how many times I have known about a job opportunity and I'm trying to think who could fulfill this. I'm doing it right now. But it's it's happened with uh, (laughs) there was an animation studio that did stop motion uh, work. And one of my students was a recruit. She was looking for someone to fulfill these jobs. She needed a Canon camera expert. And she needed someone who builds stuff out of popsicle sticks and wire and glues and waxes and knows about this from experience and how you don't use the wax for that because the hot light's going to melt it and it's going to fall apart and the stop motion will be ruined. All that stuff. And she had one third thing. And we sat down for lunch and I made a note who could fit these. I had one person who could fit one mm-hmm. uh, or was, would be ready to because they needed it quickly. Couldn't find anyone to fit that other one. 
And so that happens all the time, that there's a need and people are seeking someone who fulfills that need. And when you start to hear regularly that somebody needs someone who can do that kind of thing, but it's when I ask, every time I go into a game company, every time I go into a studio, I ask them things like, what do you wish I could tell, you could tell students that I will tell them for you? And mm -hmm. also, what are you, who are you looking for right now? And when I've asked people who hire at game studios, what are you looking for right now? One of them told me, not concept artists. <laughs> we've got all the concept artists we need right now, and we've got lots more that we would like, and that we'll bring them in when, it, when the time is, but it's like everybody wants to be a job as a concept artist. Yeah. And it's just, it's not gonna happen unless you've already established yourself. Interesting, I, I took that advice in a different way. Tell me. When you said look at job postings, I thought, as a student who's not ready for the job yet, mm -hmm. you still look at those job postings and look at the details of what they require mm -hmm. and start learning all that stuff. You, you go directly to the goal. How many times have the big game companies advertised for concept artists? Regularly. But the people that they are trying to attract are the best in the business. So a student doesn't usually start out working as a concept artist for a big company. It does happen. I've seen it happen, I've seen this with some of my students even, but it's just, it's rare. I don't wanna talk about this anymore because I've already spent, uh, I mean, there's an hour lecture of me talking about designing your education for your career and it's to reverse engineer. What job do you want? What does the industry need? Okay. How will I go back and design my own education? And then that's, as usual, I, I say that's a creative pursuit. You're designing your own education to try to be the one that when they advertise for a concept artist, you say, I am finally ready. Where Wait where did you talk? Where do they get me. this? The workshop that I teach every January is one, but oh. the the four dollar how to design your career with a whiteboard on that's your website. The one. Yeah, that's the that, one. Okay, martialart.com, four dollars. You bet you four bucks. <laughs> uh, buy Marshall an almost coffee. Almost. I don't keep all that money, boy. When you yeah, this coffee it, costs more I than four dollars. I feel good about charging four dollars for a lecture that I feel like is one of the most valuable things that I offered <laughs> right at about the time it came right at about the time that that art school that had had the uh, it was like a 400 million dollar empire in in uh, San Francisco Ooh. there was there was a lot of negative publicity Ooh. about an art art Institute empire are you talking about artists it was another one that was a for, it was a for-profit art school i don't know that yeah that was getting a lot of negative publicity because they were this huge multi-million dollar empire and uh and students were paying a lot to get degrees there mm. and that's when i entered the market <laughs> okay well what do we want to do next dan no i i think we're done with the episode marshall we're next you know tune in next time to learn about structure here's what we've got you've got more knowledge than you could ever spend a lifetime absorbing Everything you need for your career is available to you. But knowledge isn't enough. At some point, you've got to get the work done, get the skills, and have something to press against, like a deadline or certain criteria that someone else puts on you. And that's what we'll call structure. That's what we'll get to next. And we will give them that spinal cord. Oh, yeah. Some <laughs> the next episode building the body that is art school. Yes. The hard parts that hold it up. Yeah. So if you don't have school to provide you with a backbone. Draftsman will give draftsman. you the backbone. Tune in next time. Give Dude. us all those likes, hearts, and TikToks. Give me the TikToks. <laughs> uh, I want you to say that. What is it? Give I'm us a TikTok. Say?
I don't even know what a TikTok is. <laughs> That's totally the wrong way to even say it. You don't give anyone a TikTok. That's great. Thank you, Charlie. Okay, well, we did it. <laughs> Charlie's like, stop talking and end the episode. <laughs> that was perfect.